didn't want to fill up the space too soon. Just what a nice moment of worship from the dance and uh, just the time to experience God and didn't want to put my words out there to get in his way. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you're here this morning as we continue in our series, uh, the Jesus Stories series today, and, and we'll be taking a look at the parable of, of the foolish heart, also called the parable of the rich fool. Now, so often people can be very foolish when it comes to the topic of money. <laughs> That's an area we can be fools, can't we? And uh, there's that expression, a fool and his money are soon parted. That's right. And um, we can't help but reflect on some of the foolish choices, quite honestly, that our, our nation has made over the last years that has put us really in a very difficult current financial condition right now, huh? And, and we won't go any further with that. But to say as a nation, and more importantly, as individuals, we can stand to learn a lot about having a foolish view of money. So it's really timely today, today as we get a chance to kind of jump into Jesus's world at a point when the subject of money and materialism comes up. Now, it happened a fair amount in that day. Jesus spends a lot of time talking about money because he knows that money is tied very directly to our hearts, money and stuff. And so uh, we're going to take a look today, and it's a, a parable that, occur, that happens, it comes up in Luke chapter 12. Now, the beginning of this chapter tells us that Jesus was being surrounded by a crowd, a crowd of thousands of people, okay? He's there, he's been doing all sorts of things, traveling around, but as he's here, thousands of people are coming up, all desiring to hear him teach, maybe perform some of the miracles they've heard about, heal some people, you know, maybe even cast out some demons, and perhaps they're going to get a free lunch out of the deal, because he's been known to feed thousands of people more multiple times, right? And that might even happen. So let's check it out, you know? And, uh, but Luke 12, 1 says that the crowds, it says, this is the reading, it says, the crowds grew until thousands were milling about and stepping on each other. So you get a picture. It kind of sounds like the Nevada County Fair coming up this week, doesn't it? You know, the crowds are coming and you get a picture of Jesus. He's been traveling, doing his thing. And he gathers here at a point with his disciples and the crowds are just coming. Now, the people in the back can't see the people in the front. They just kind of keep pushing in. And it's so crowded that people are stepping on each other. And you get a, a view of what's happening. Now, Jesus, to put it in context, he starts talking for a moment with his close, closest disciples. It's like they kind of huddle up and he starts talking about some really important things. This is stuff that you, you could read about in chapter 12 at the beginning part, but he starts talking with them when all of a sudden this man shouts out from the crowd that's surrounding him. Well, let me read you the account here. Luke 12, starting at verse 31. Then someone calls out from the crowd, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Well, Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? And then Jesus said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. And then Jesus told them a story. It's an opportunity to teach. And here he goes. He says, a rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And this man said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. And then the man said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, <laughs> kind of direct, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? And then Jesus says, yes, a person is a fool to, stir up, to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. 
Now, you see, Jesus is talking to his closest disciples about some really important things, when all of a sudden, this man shouts out from the crowd, hey, teacher, hey, teacher, I need some help here. Make my brother give me what he owes me now that our dad died. <laughs> now, and now, it's important to note the context as this story begins, because the very manner, the very manner in which this guy gets things started, it reveals his heart, and Jesus sees that. He's there with thousands of people to hear this man come there's thousands of people to hear this hot new rabbi doing all these great things, teaching all this stuff. And, and while the rabbi is in the middle of talking to his closest disciples, busy, he's bold enough to shout out not a question, but really a demand. Now, I want to tell you that the NLT, the New Living Translation uh, that we're reading from, is excessively polite by inserting the word please in that sentence that we just read. Okay? You know, some we take a translation, we try to make it make sense to us today. It says, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. A very literal translation, though, from the Greek of that phrase would really be this. Master, order my brother to divide the inheritance and share it with me. Exclamation point. Okay, we, we catch the gist, but that's, it's really a demand for Jesus to do what he wants, when he wants it, and it revolves around money. It revolves around money. Now, it was common in that day to appeal to religious, deal, uh, religious leaders to help settle disputes. So in a sense, it wasn't crazy that, that the man was coming to Jesus to help him you know, figure this situation out and to get some help. And we might assume that the man shouting the question was a younger brother. You see, in that day when a father had two sons and when the father died, the estate would be split between the two, not equally, but two-thirds would go to the older son and one-third would go to the younger son. It's just what was practiced. And so we, uh, we might uh, assume that this is the younger brother who's shouting out here because evidently the older brother receives the, the full inheritance and then doesn't give the one-third to the younger brother here, okay? He's failed to give his younger brother his portion, and the younger brother is ticked off. Hey, Rabbi, my brother's being selfish. Make him give me my share and do it now, you know? I want it now. Well, Jesus is able to take in the whole situation immediately, and he calls the man on what was the real problem. You see, the, main, the man's main problem was not that he had an unfair brother, he did have an unfair brother, okay? But his main problem was that he was greedy. And that's what Jesus chose to deal with. He saw through this situation, went right for the heart, as he so often did. And I know today, um, I know today that God wants to talk to our hearts. You see, we're talking about money and stuff today, and I don't know where you're at and how much you think you own and what you want and all those sorts of things, but my prayer going into this morning and our time together is that God would shine a little light on your heart not for me to see, but for you to see, and for us to perhaps come to grips with where I am at today, not compared to someone else, but today, and is my heart in the right place? Because in the same way that Jesus saw that man's heart, he sees my heart, and he sees your heart, and he wants to deal with that. And so as we talk about money and possessions and our view on things and, and what is a foolish heart, I would pray that God would reveal that to you and that, it, you know, that you not feel any guilt put on you or any of that, but that truly you want a light to be shown. You see, Jesus sees the heart. He sees that he's greedy, and he chooses to deal with the heart rather than the circumstances. And he immediately launches into this story that, that seeks to show the man the reality of his heart. Now, the man in the parable, the story that we just read when Jesus says, hey, watch out, and then he launches into the story, he was called by God directly in the story, very directly and very clearly, he was called a fool. 
Now, I've asked that you allow God to shine a light on your heart today because it occurred to me while I was speaking during first service, it hadn't before then, that the last thing that I want when God sees me at whatever point when I come face to face with God, the last thing I want him to say when he sees me is, you fool. How about you? Does that sound good? You see God and we have a big smile and he goes, you fool. That's not what I would want. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be there, okay? So we approach this morning to say, God, I don't want to have a foolish heart so much so that when you see me, it's you fool, you know? That's not where I want to go. So we want to ensure against that as best we can. This man had a foolish heart, and Jesus was saying to the younger brother, his younger brother who was so angry at his older brother, so focused on the inheritance that he hadn't gotten that he was rude, really rude to Jesus, presumptuous, and he really stepped all over his dead father's honor. Yeah, I really am sorry that my dad's dead, but where's my money, (laughs) you know? And as we discuss this parable today, we don't want to just look at it from a distance, from his perspective, but see the ways that we have a foolish heart. And um, I'm going to look at this man's foolish heart and see how we can overcome that same problem in our own lives. Well, first of all, what is a foolish heart? He's called a fool and having a foolish heart. Simply this, a foolish heart is a heart that's out of focus, It's a foolish heart, is a heart that's out of focus. Now, have you ever looked through a telescope or high-powered binoculars? I brought this telescope here today as a visual. Sometimes it's helpful to see this. If you ever look through that, it really can be kind of fun. I'm not looking at anything in particular. I can pretend to look at the stars or whatever and get into focus. It takes things very far away and bring them into view, and it's kind of cool. It's a fun thing. But they can also be downright frustrating if they're out of focus, right? And I can't quite find what I'm looking for, and then when I find that I can't focus, it can be frustrating. Take a look at this slide to see what I mean here. Okay. Some of you trying to adjust your glasses or wish you had your glasses or whatever, but, but no, this is an out-of-focus picture, and at some point you kind of go, that's kind of artistic or whatever, and I can kind of make it out, but at some point it kind of starts driving me crazy. Fix that. So we'll go ahead and fix that. There we go. Much better, huh? Mighty good-looking family, wouldn't you say? <laughs> Being in focus makes all the difference, doesn't it? Now, if someone were to spend all their time looking through a telescope or looking through binoculars that was always and permanently out of focus, we would probably call that person a fool. You know, I just like looking through life with out-of-focus binoculars or with a telescope that's looking down and out of focus. We would say, that's nice. You're an idiot. You know, in love, I would tell you that. You're a fool. What are you doing? Things aren't clear. You're not seeing reality. But that's exactly how the man in this story is living his life, the brother who calls out, and how we all too often live our lives when it comes to material things and money. We get out of focus. The man's heart is foolish because he's out of focus and he's focusing on the wrong things, focusing on the wrong place, and the lens is twisted and out of focus. So let's see what he's focused on and where he's out of focus and how we can guard against these things. First of all, he's foolishly focused on money and stuff, not the heart. He's focused on money and stuff, not the heart. Now, the rich man in this story saw a huge harvest coming in this year. He was doing well. He was already a rich man, but he sees as he's planting, he's like, jackpot this year, and he is thrilled. Look at all this stuff, you know, woo He, You see, he measured his value in how much he had, how much stuff he owned, how new it was, the quantity of it. And when the harvest increased, when his riches increased, his focus was super glued to his money and stuff. 
Now, in that religious society of that day, it was commonly known that God looks, it said in Scripture multiple times, God looks at the heart, not at external things, you know? And so it's because of the Holy Scripture that was there that most people knew it was part of the culture that God says, I'm looking at the heart. It's important that you look inside of the things that really matter. But for this man, he's like, whoa, look at all the stuff I've got. Look at all the grain. Not only all the grain that I'm going to check out, but that grain's going to translate into it. Let's see out in that parking lot. I'm seeing some mighty fine cars. Let me focus on that. Oh, over the ridge, I can see over there, there's a mighty big mansion up on the hill. Maybe that could be mine too. I could get maybe a couple of those because you never know when one's not enough, right? And his focus moves away. It moves into a bad direction. And uh, the man turned his gaze away from his heart, from the reality of who he was, and he focused only on the money and stuff, you know? Now, the man wasn't a fool because he liked nice stuff, okay? I like nice stuff, I do, you know? It's just that he put his focus on it and it put his life out of focus, okay? It's a perspective thing. Truth is, today, even today, it's even easier to get out of focus and focus on money and possessions because that's what our world emphasizes. Our world just does that. Money and stuff buys you happiness, doesn't it? If you believe advertising that you are just barraged with on a daily basis, whether it's billboards or internet or television, radio, whatever, if you believe that, then it's right there. It's in your face. Money and stuff buys you happiness. Having nice things makes life better. I mean, doesn't it? I would all say, oh, I know that that's not true. But I'm not so sure we act like we know that that's true. Okay, don't raise your hands right now, but rhetorically or, or hypothetically, how many of you have ever gone into some level of credit card debt to buy something that you were sure would make your life better? Uh, some of you are raising your hand. <laughs> Most of you went, good. He said, don't raise your hand. Yeah. Right. That, but that's what the ads say, right? Drive this car, drink this coffee, you know, use this smartphone and life will be better. <laughs> and first Timothy chapter six and verse nine says that those who want to get rich, let me pause not those who are rich, right? Well, I'm not really rich. In fact, I'm nowhere near rich. When I compare myself to what? A lot of places in South America, a lot of places in Africa, a lot of places around the world that are hoping to survive on one or two dollars a day. Okay, those not only who are rich in your own, but those who want to be rich, that could be me, that could be you so easily, right? Because when we look at things and think we might want them, that's someone who desires to be rich. And those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now the verse makes it clear that God isn't talking about rich people only. It's what I just said. But, but really any of, us, uh, any of us that want to be rich, he's potentially talking to you and to me. Well, I don't want to be rich. I just want a little more. Does that make sense? <laughs> do we really have an out-of-focus stuff problem? Do, do you have that problem? Do we as a nation, do we as a culture, we even as a, as a, as a church culture? Well, I did a little research this week, and it's amazing how much, how much stuff we own in this country and how much money we spend storing our stuff. Take a look at this slide. How many of you don't know what that is? Now, let me ask you another question. How many countries around the world, if you showed that them slide, would not know what that is? A lot, a lot. They would go, what is that? Perhaps it's some apartment complex, a, a place to live. Honestly, they would think those are just 
In fact, those are bigger than some people's houses that, that you would encounter in various places, certainly where we've gone to Africa and some other places like that. And yet we all look at that and we laugh and we go, we know, I know what that is. Well, I did a little research and... Uh, yeah, as of 2005, so it's not even real current today, but as of 2005, our country had 2.35 billion square feet of rentable self-storage, okay? And that was way up from, the, from like 1999, so that's dated. 2.35 billion, that's a land area equivalent to three times Manhattan Island under a roof, okay? That translates into an industry that now exceeds the revenue of Hollywood, I just want to put it in perspective. That amount of money is being spent on that business of what? Self-storage, okay? And self-storage facilities report 90% occupancy, so more is on the way. Now, lest you think, boy, John, times have been tough and people are downsizing and putting their stuff in storage, whatever. This was 2005 before the big crash and stuff we're going through. This was in the good times. We need more storage. We need more storage. Folks, our country is focused on stuff, not you, I know. Okay, our country is focused on stuff so much so that we don't have enough space for all our stuff, so we rent storage space to store all of our extra stuff. And if you have self-storage, again, I'm flashing back to what I told you a few minutes ago, this is not meant to be a guilt trip or to put you down or to judge your motives or all that, but I want God, I want you to allow God to shine a light on your heart. Okay, that's all. I'm not saying that, oh, it's sin to have some self-storage or something, but I'm just letting you see the condition of our country. We rent storage space to store all of our extra stuff, and at somewhere I start seeing red light, red light, mayday, mayday, out of focus, out of focus. <laughs> the problem here is that when we focus on the physical so much, we miss God's call to focus on our hearts, right? Where am I going to store my stuff? What's my next stuff? I need new stuff to replace the old stuff. What do I do with the old stuff? We're foolishly focused on the money and the stuff. We're out of focus. Well, also for us, we're, we're out of focus and foolish, foolishly focused when we focus on myself, not God or others. When I focus on myself, not God or others. Now, when we read this story, it's important to know that Jesus is not, listen, it's, Jesus is not against a man doing well in business, okay? Man gets out there, he works hard, and he does well, right? He's, this is a farmer, and the, doing the land, and he's smart, and he studies, and he gets it going. He produces something. Work and profiting from work is not a bad thing. He's cool with that. Jesus is also not against planning for the future, okay? If you think the extra barn building represents a healthy 401k, you know, the guy's looking around going, okay, bigger barns to store my stuff. Well, isn't that kind of like planning for retirement? Is Jesus against that? No, he's not against that. He's not against planning. The, Isaiah 32 says the noble man makes noble plans, and by noble deeds he stands. God, Jesus has no problem with wise planning. That's not the issue. Here's the big problem, the out-of-focus issue. The man in the story saw the huge excess of grain and more coming in, and his focus immediately went to himself. Hey, I'm looking pretty good. His focus immediately went to himself. He saw all the extras there as being there for him. So when he sees all that excess coming and he wonders what to do, who does he turn to? Himself. <laughs> Why not? He doesn't thank God for it. I mean, God is the one who provided the excess after all, and he doesn't think to ask anyone else what to do, nor does he think to actually give or to help anybody else. Listen to this section of the story again, and I'm going to emphasize some key words here. 
Jesus says this, a rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine, fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. And he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. <laughs> then I'll have enough room to store all my wheat and other goods, because it's more than that. And I'll sit back and say to my, you getting the point? I, I, me, me, my, my, me, me, I, I, holy smoke. <laughs> And then, and I love this one, what kind of friends does he have? And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, he's talking to himself. (laughs) My friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. And of course, God's response was, you, you fool, (laughs) you fool. He sees that he's hitting it big time, and his his immediate response is, party time for me. It's my birthday. It's my birthday. Go me. Go me. You know, and it turns into a big little soft little party dance going on. And God says, time out. Time out. I, I provided all that for you so, so you can honor and you can thank me. And, and then so you can be a blessing to others. And all you can focus on is yourself. You're out of focus. Now, here's an interesting thought when it comes to material things in our lives. They work as a piece of glass. They work as a piece of glass, mature things. They either work as a clear piece of glass so we can look through them and see God, who is the giver of all things. Material things appear in our lives, and we can look through the glass and see God and say, God, thank you. And you've blessed me with this. Um, I don't deserve it. What do you want me to do with it? How do you want me to handle it? Lord, keep, help me keep it in focus. We see God through the glass. Or material things appear in our life, and that glass appears before us, but this time it's a mirror. And what do we see now? We see ourselves. Hey, look at that. I work pretty hard for this stuff. Ah, Yeah, I'm pretty talented, pretty smart, pretty shrewd, pretty lucky sometimes, right? It's a piece of glass that we can either look through and see God and thank him for it and begin the process of what do you want me to do with it or it becomes a, a, a mirror that says it's about me and God gave me these things for me. But in 1 Timothy 6, a few verses after what we just read, verse 17 says, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. You see, we're out of focus when we turn the telescope away from God and away from others and instead focus on ourselves. And yet that's what we do so often, isn't it? I, I need to upgrade something. Also in my research this week, it was amazing to me how, how often, uh, especially in America, where we don't wait for things to break before we replace them, right? You know, and the new, and again, just let God shine the light, not me, but you know, the new phone comes out. My phone's doing fine, but holy cow, I get a rebate and it's a good deal and I got to upgrade. Not that there's never a reason not to upgrade, but isn't it funny how we do that? Well, we're foolishly focused third of all, and and it reflects a foolish heart when we're focused on today and not the eternal. Thirdly, focused on today and not the eternal. I see the man in this story was so into his stuff and himself that his focus really narrowed. You know, instead of the big picture, he just saw the small one. He actually lived as if he believed that this life is all there is. Party today because today is the most important thing. You know, I've got it made, baby, so I'm going to live it up. Woohoo! But Psalm 49, starting at verse 9, it puts it back into focus. The psalmist says, Why should I fear when trouble comes, when enemies surround me? 
rich enemies. You see, they trust in their wealth and they boast. They boast of great riches, yet they cannot redeem themselves from death by paying a ransom to God, can they? Redemption does not come so easily for no one can ever pay enough to live forever and never see the grave. You see, we worry so much about today and tomorrow when God always wants us to focus on eternity, right? This little moment that we live today is so brief. Live your life knowing that this life is but a moment and God has us here for a reason. God wants us to have wise hearts instead of foolish hearts. What kind of heart is that? Well, it's the things we've been talking about. We've contrasted don't have this focus, but do have this. The wise heart is in focus. The wise heart is in focus, and that's widely, wisely focused on your heart, Jesus, others, and the eternal. It's the opposite things that the foolish focuses on, but your heart, it focuses on Jesus, it focuses on other, others and the eternal. It never focuses on money and stuff except as a tool to be used by God for others, for God and for others. You see, Jesus tells a story to show the younger brother who shouts out his demands. He says, you got a problem, but your bigger problem is you're out of focus and you need to get your act together. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, don't store up treasures here on earth. Don't store them up here where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. And so I want to ask you this morning, and again, God's light to shine on your heart. What do you pursue in life? What do you think about in life? Where do you spend your time? Where do you spend your pursuits? What, what are you seeking? And what are you rich in? What are you pursuing richness in? Because think about this. The only area you can control your wealth in is if you pursue being rich in God. Right? We pursue riches. When we think richness, riches, we think stuff and possessions and money. But the stock market can crash, can it? Ooh, we've seen that the last couple of weeks big time, Right? Even if you're not in it, it kind of doesn't feel good. Inflation can rob the value of your dollars. Houses can burn. Cars can break down. Relationships, if you value relationships as a possession, they can, they can fall apart. You're rich one day and then not the next, and a little richer and a little less, and it's just up and down, and you can't control that, right? But if you're rich in God, you have that forever. You have that forever. Not by trying harder, on your own, you know, I'm going to really focus this week. Focus, focus, focus. It's up to me. I got to focus. But by saying, Lord, teach me, teach me, help me to focus and keep my eyes on you in the cross. Because I've noticed that it's so easy to go from in focus to out of focus. You finally find yourself lined up right and focus on the right things. And, and I'm in focus. And all of a sudden, though, I'm like, I'm out of focus. I was doing so well. What happened? You know, but see, it's just, it's a little bump of the lens, isn't it? It's just that little, a little bump. I wasn't paying attention, and then the focus goes out, or it gets out of focus, or it focuses on the wrong thing. We start focusing weird. We get out of focus, and we need God to correct our focus constantly, or we might not even see when we get out of focus. I didn't even know it. I guarantee the younger brother, when he shows up to see Jesus, isn't going, man, I got a greed issue, but not only that, but I got a bum brother. He showed up thinking, man, my brother's the bad guy. He He didn't get it. He didn't get it. Of course, Jesus saw through that and said, you don't even know that you're out of focus. Yeah, we got an issue with your brother, but the bigger issue, that's right, what's going on inside there? You ready to deal with that? Let's shine the light. Let's shine the light. If you want to have a wise, a wise, focused life, spend time with Jesus, intimate time with Jesus. A number of us went to work this week and invested in our investments and making money because that's what I'm supposed to do. 
And ultimately, that leads to richness in things. Did you invest in your richness to God? Because isn't that the only thing you really can control? Intimate time with Jesus will build that. Give back to God what he's blessed you with in the ways of tithes and offerings. Be generous in giving to others so that you don't fool yourself into thinking that God gives us money and stuff in our lives purely for us because that's our self-deceit. I'd love for God to shine that light on me, on, on you, just for you today and, and bring us to a point of saying, I'm, I've been out of focus and today I need to make a commitment. I need to make a commitment and make a change. And as we listen to this song right now, I'd really invite you to offer your money, your stuff, your focus, and most importantly, your heart. Offer those things to God as we listen and as we respond. Would you pray with me? Father, we've had a chance to um, enjoy a scene with Jesus, to step into his life in a moment with the crowds around where somebody jumps out thinking that he's going to get his way (laughs) and yet his heart is revealed and Jesus deals with that heart, God. And to be honest, Lord, we sit here today and if if we're honest and vulnerable enough to open up our hearts, we've seen the light shine upon them and realize that yes, money and stuff and possessions and material things and ourselves all too often sit on the throne. Our focus, Lord, is off. And so I, I, I would pray this morning, God, that you not only reveal that to us, but that you give us the desire and the courage and the strength, Lord, to change that. Holy Spirit, come into us and refocus us, Lord, upon you on that intimate relationship with Jesus. On loving God, enjoying his gifts by using them for you and for your glory, Lord. Take our lives, take our treasure, take our love. Father, because we do love you and we need you. If you take out your connection card uh, that Pastor Rick referred to earlier in the service, and you can begin filling that out. If you want to respond to the service, you certainly can do that. And, um, you know, I encourage you to make a commitment today. Um, It's between you and the Lord, but sometimes writing something down is is a helpful way for some accountability and encouragement. Um, We'll be receiving our offering in just a few moments, and and then we'll be closing the service right after that. Um, I want to ask you, today, and if not, you're not ready today, meaning you need some prayer and thought into it, then maybe later today or this week, if you really, if you really want to have a wise heart and be in focus, um, develop a giving plan, not just a spontaneous reaction giving, 
Um, we in America do that well, a big hurricane or tsunami or something, and we give money towards it because it came up in the needs there. Or sometimes someone's in need and we float them a $20 bill. Don't, don't stop doing those things. But the truth is those are situational things. Those aren't planned things. To get your life in focus as I'm going to focus on the Lord and get it in right perspective. And that means I'm going to make a decision about tithing. I'm going to make a decision about giving, and I'm going to make a decision that says my hand is not going to be so clenched tightly upon things because that's where my focus is. I'm going to let it be free, and it's going to be a looking glass and not a mirror upon me. And um, giving to God and giving to the church not because he or we need it is a great way for you to get your life in focus. So I want to encourage you to do that, to actually make a decision in the same way that some of us budget money for ourselves, you know, management of money, that you would budget giving and make a giving plan. I encourage you to do that. We'll be receiving our offering here in just a moment, and uh, then I'll come up and close the service. If you're a guest, we don't, uh, no pressure on you to give at all. We don't want to pressure anybody to give. We want to give you the opportunity if you're a part of our church. As a guest, we're glad that you're here, and we want to remind you that we have a gift for you out at the Welcome Center. Thanks for being here. But for the rest of us that are here, um, God may want to focus us a little bit. I know he's working on my heart too. Let's let him speak to us. Well, we, um, this is something new for us. We've identified the fact that we have some young marrieds, younger than me, young marrieds and or almost married couples out there that maybe have a tough time connecting in a church our size and going in different directions. So we kind of want to give you a chance to gather and say, God, what do you have for us? Maybe that turns into some community groups, who knows what. So you can get for more information. We have some brochures available out at the small groups table outside. In fact, they're kind of all over the place because they want to kind of get the word out. If you know somebody, maybe that's not here this morning, you can grab one of those. They're cool little postcards with info and you can pass it on to a friend. Even if they're not already connected with our church, it might be a great chance for them to come and hook up with people um, in our community as a positive thing. I want to share with you one thing, a little extra. I didn't do this first service. Um, my wife and I, about at the beginning of the year, made kind of a recommitment. I've, I've kind of always been, a, since I was little, you know, tithing is important, 10% or, or more, you know. So as a little kid, when I'd get my little allowance, you know, a dime of it would, would go into the, the offering in third grade or whatever like that. And so I've kind of been committed to that most of my life. But in January, and we went through Financial Peace University to help, we really made a recommitment to realign our values, saying, I think we're in a good spot, but let's do better. And so a little more hardcore on our budgeting and, and, and right back to saying right off the top, we're giving to God first. And I want to tell you that these last, we're into August, these last, you know, six, seven, eight months have been amazing. Um, I got long stories I won't tell you now about some almost miracle God provision for some things that have just come in. As a pastor and a teacher, we don't have lots of opportunity for extra money, you know, we, I, you know to come in and yet God has just had money appear in ways when, when big needs came up. And, and not that God says he will always do that, but he always provides. But the nice thing is we found ourselves spending a lot less money on stuff. And harder for my wife, who has that shopaholic vein in her a little bit, but it's just almost, I won't say it's disappeared, but it's kind of regressed some through there. And to really say, we have money now, we sponsor one of those little kids, little Mary Nancha in Africa, and able to have a relationship with her and float money to Africa there, able to help financially, not just in Africa, but here in our community, with our ministries that we have with the schools and at-risk students. All of a sudden, there's not lots because we're not, you know, rich by U.S. standards, but there's money available to help. 
and to be involved in things. So they're just kind of a testimony that God, God is shining the light on us and, and, and he's not blessing us because I'm a pastor. Because in, in God's eyes, you're the same as me. You're a child of the Most High God, called by him, adopted into his family if you're a follower of Jesus. And he cares for you. Not just cares for you, loves you, but he will care for you. And I want you encouraged to take those steps and see how God will bless you. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, thanks for this morning and the chance to, um, again, shine the light upon us if we've allowed it. And Lord, I know this is uncomfortable for some of us because we've been holding on pretty tight. But Father, again, I reflect, I do not want to stand before you and have you say into my face, you fool. And, uh, and Lord, so I pray that you'd lead me into the ways of wisdom with a heart that's devoted to you. I hear this song that we just closed with, take my life, take my all. And I think, yes, take my life, Lord. Just let me hold on to the stuff. God, let it not be. Lord, may I loosen my grip so that you can use me and my family as a conduit to bless others, Lord. And may our church be a church of blessing in that way. And we need your help to do that, God. Holy Spirit, enable us, empower us, give us the desire and the strength to be in focus. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you next week.